you all for being here. I don't know that we have anyone in the hospital today, so we'll give thanks for the meal. But again, I encourage you, if you know any of our people that are in the hospital and we haven't mentioned them, that you would know that would be helpful to us. Let me pray. Father, for our food, we thank you. For our fellowship, again, we thank you for that. We pray for those who are in authority in our nation, especially in regards to all the things that are going on with terrorism in the world, that you would give them wisdom and guidance. And, Father, that we would pray that you would bring the gospel to bear with power upon a part of the world where Satan's power seems uh, overwhelmingly strong. We know that we wrestle not with uh, flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and rulers and high places. And so we pray that you would overturn the works of the devil. And we pray, too, Father, that you would uh, be with all these people that are in harm's way and that you would protect them and that you would push back this, uh, this work of murderous uh, intent by these people. Now, uh, bless our time in your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're talking about true spirituality. I'd like us to look in James chapter 4 at verse 11 and uh, 12. And we're talking about not so much the tongue here as much as the heart. You know, I, I can't see your heart as an organ. It's inside you. I can't really see your heart in the sense of your spirit because it's inside you. I can see reflections of what I think is your heart in the way that we interact with one another. True spirituality is your heart, your heart as Christ's home. And as Christ being finding a home in your heart, and then as taking up residence in your heart, making a difference in all the outward activities of your life so that you reflect true spirituality in your Christian walk. Now, James says in chapter 4, verse 11, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Now, notice this word brothers coming up. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge, and now the word is, your neighbor? Now, I think this word neighbor, this word brother is thrown in there. You know, if you think about a person being a brother and then you think speaking evil against them, how much of a brother would you be if you were doing this? And what kind of a neighbor would you be if you were speaking against them and judging them? How it's kind of a play on this idea of being a brother, being a neighbor. Now, true spirituality is really the Christian life. and Basically, the Christian life begins kind of one of two ways. You could be a person that grew up in a Christian home. 
you could have been in a situation where you were nurtured by the family to appreciate the scriptures, to appreciate the message of the scriptures, to understand things about who Jesus is in the scriptures. And as a child in a Christian home, you're, you're told to appreciate all of this and understand it. But the child raised in a Christian home has to come to a point in their own lives where they understand that they need Jesus themselves. Not that their parents have Jesus, but they need Jesus. And when they ask Jesus to come into their lives and to forgive them of their sins, they become a person in which Jesus becomes their own personal savior. They become Christians in their receiving Jesus. Now, a pastor buddy of mine in South Florida, and he was my mother's pastor for uh, the last 35 years of my mother's life, and they had one son one daughter, and when the son was about five to six years of age, he liked to sing the songs from the church that were the most robust. And so his favorite song that he would shout out with great uh, great enthusiasm in, in the home was, Years I spent in vanity and pride. Here he was, about five, six years of age, singing that song. We all thought, well, that's very interesting. He saw his sin. He saw his need of a savior. But God also calls people to himself that grew up in a home where Jesus was not a part of the family circle. And when God called these people, they had to hear about Jesus in a unique way, in a fresh way. They came to know primarily not so much the greatness of Jesus, the greatness of the Bible, but they began to understand the consequences of their sin and their own sinfulness. And so as they began to understand sin and the consequences of death and hell, and they began to learn about the holiness of God and of heaven, they came to see that God's plan was to deliver them, to deliver them from the power of sin through personal faith in, in Jesus as God's Son and their Savior. And they asked Jesus to save them. He gave them eternal life. Now, what we see is that when we believe, when we receive Jesus, the gift of the Holy Spirit is a part of what is taking place in our lives at that time. The Holy Spirit comes into us, and we become people that possess the Holy Spirit, but there's a real sense in which when we become a believer and the Holy Spirit comes into our life, it's not so much that we possess the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is supposed to possess us. And we, we become, as Christians, we become spiritual people, and we're to have a true spirituality. Now, I say this a lot. I don't know how my repetition of this kind of phrasing uh, anchors in you. I'm hoping it's starting to anchor. But I say this a lot. The Holy Spirit comes to accomplish in us everything that Christ accomplished for us. Now, you can turn it around. You can say everything that Jesus came to accomplish for us, 
The Holy Spirit is in the business of accomplishing those things in us to make us faithful followers of Jesus Christ, to make us spiritual people. But the Holy Spirit does more than that, and just a couple of things. He gives us spiritual power, spiritual power to live like Jesus. You know, Colossians 1, verse 10, it says that what a believer is to be in, uh, anticipating doing is walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him in every respect, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. We get the power to become faithful imitators, followers of Christ. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't matter whether the child grew up in a Christian home or whether the person comes as adulthood uh, not from a Christian home, but the Holy Spirit is constantly working in our lives to radically transfer our li- transform our lives inwardly in order that we might live outwardly. The Holy Spirit is working in us inwardly. I can't see it in you. Maybe you can't even see it in yourself sometimes. But if the Holy Spirit is in you, it is happening. He is working inside you. But the way you see what he's doing inside you bearing fruit is what happens in your outward face. You're living. Now, when James writes what he writes in these four chapters, we need to see that he's talking all the time in a very uh, repetitive manner. It's not that his words are repetitive, but his way of dealing with us is repetitive. He's always following a pattern, and it's without exception. So he talks about outward things, And he talks about the outward things to help us to understand, is there something actually happening in us inwardly? Is the Holy Spirit working in us inwardly? If the Holy Spirit is working that way, then these outward things will be taking place. So look what he's saying here in in the outward sense. Don't speak against one another. That's what he's saying outwardly. What's he saying inwardly? Don't judge one another. Now, you could be judging. uh, You know, uh, I'm not suggesting what I'm going to say here that we we do this. But in, in Montgomery, Alabama, at one of the clubs like Rotary or Kiwanis that meets every week, their favorite thing to do is to get somebody to speak to them that doesn't know anything about their club. That's the setup. So you're invited to speak at this Montgomery business person's lunch club, and you're sitting there, and you're beginning your speech, and all of a sudden, if the people or somebody, usually one of the kingpins in the club, likes what you're saying, he reaches into the center table and takes a dinner roll, and he slings it at you. 
Now, you don't know what's going on, but all of a sudden, you've had to dodge this projectile. And you think, what in the world was that all about? And so you keep, and if they really start to like you, pretty soon, people are slinging these dinner rolls at you from a couple of different tables at a time. What are they doing? They're judging the speaker. Now, this happens in everything we do, isn't it? We judge things. Judgment here is in the sense of condemnation, though. Judging in order to condemn. This is what we call a censorious spirit. That's what's really being talked about here. We should not be censorious towards other people. Now, when you say something like this, all of a sudden you're saying, I don't like true spirituality. True spirituality is getting really too close to my heart, my mind. You're telling me I shouldn't be that kind of a person? Well, that's exactly what James is doing. That's exactly what James is doing. He has gotten in you. He's gotten way in, and he's gotten too close, and it's a little hot. That's what he does. He does it all the time. Now, when, Jesus, when James rather reaches out to each one of us, he tends to use this process. You, you hear his words. Your mind processes what he's saying. He begins to question your power. And then he calls you to respond in obedience. Now, if you read the book of James, you'll see that over and over again. Okay, I heard what he said. Uh, just that, uh, is an indication that you're processing. The next thing you're saying is, I can't do this. I need the Holy Spirit. I need power from apart. And then there's the decision, what are you going to do? Well, how are you going to, are you going to actually embrace what you've heard? And are you going to change? In the Marine Corps, I was sent to a prisoner of war training school run by the Air Force. I used this one time when Chip was here. And I said I'd been thrown into a federal prison and none of you all were paying much attention. And I said, well, yeah, it was back when I was 22 years of age, I went into the federal prison. And I noticed a couple of y'all looked up. And I said, in the federal prison that I was in was in Spokane, Washington. Then I saw a few eyes raise up and I looked at Chip and he was looking a little... Mm, I'm not sure about this illustration, but I was. I was in a federal prison that was run by the Air Force. It was for escape and evasion training. Now, if you did a good job in your interrogation, the interrogator would say this to you. I'm going to get up and walk out of the room for a minute. You're to walk over, and there were two clipboards with covers on them. He says, you're to lift the cover off of the right clipboard, You'll have about a minute or two, and then sit down again. I'll be coming back in when you sit down. Well, I did a real good job one time, so he says, time out. I'm going to go out. You go look at the clipboard. So he went out, and I got up walked over. 
and on the clipboard it had two words that said, good change. You've done a good job, but you've got to have more than one way to deal with being interrogated. If you did a bad job, they told you to look at the left clipboard, what do you think it said? Bad change. You don't want to die. You got you, There's constantly, what are you doing? What are you doing? The Holy Spirit is coming to you, and you're being tested in life. Are you being a faithful follower of Christ? That's good. But you know change is coming. You know there's another game that's going to be thrown at you. And you're going to have to constantly be resourcing the power of the Holy Spirit and seeking to live obediently. Well, again, when you see these words here, and it says to us, do not, do not do this. Now, there's two ways in the New Testament that this is used. There's one that would be, in this case, if you're tempted by this kind of activity, don't do it. That's one way. The other way is this. Oh, you're doing this? Stop. Now, the New Testament has two different ways of expressing this. This is the first one. He's anticipating that we're going to be tempted. In being tempted, we need not fall into this temptation. But we all know that many of us have fallen into this. We may be doing this already today. And if we are, the other side of the New Testament teaching is stop doing that. That's what we're being told. I'll give you an illustration. Here is a guy named Wynn Kenyon. He was a minister. He was put on trial for basically um, not wanting to participate in the ordination of women in his denomination. So he's put on trial for that. As he was on trial, he took his brief and gave it to one of his senior mentors. The senior mentor took the brief, looked at it, threw it down on his desk, said, I don't need to read this. There's nothing intellectually amiss in this brief. But you're going to lose. He said, well, why? He says, because when there's a choice between using a gentle word or a harsh word, you're going to use the harsh word. If there's a way of speaking of this situation you're in kindly or like you feel like you're being mean-treated, it's going to come across as mean-treated. That's the way you communicate, and you're going to lose. Well, he lost. So the man changed vocation, and he was coming now to the college where I was working, and um, he was coming as a professor, and I was given his, uh, his material to look over as a new uh, candidate on this faculty. And the same man who had spoken to him years before had now written on this man's uh, recommendation letter that Wynn Kenyon has a non-abrasive personality. 
Now you think of what the man said just some years before. Nice word, mean word, you're going to use the mean word. Now he has a non-abrasive personality. That's what we should all be thinking about, that we can change when we're confronted with the truth and we give ourselves over to the power of the Holy Spirit with the intention that we're going to follow through in the conduct of our lives. Look what James does here. He comes to us and he gives us a command. And the command is very clear. I don't think there's any sense that you would not understand. Do not speak evil against one another, brethren. Now, anybody miss that? You know, some people, that's all you need to do. One day, the dentist told our middle child, if you don't stop sucking your finger, you're going to have to have braces. That child never put his finger in his mouth again. Now, some people are able to do that. All right. So... What this command is, internally, spiritually, internally, spiritually, we are not to judge other people. We're not to stand over their lives as the grand inquisitor in finding them at fault. We are not to do it. But I can't see whether you're doing it and other people can't see whether I'm doing it, it's a spiritual issue. But that's what we're being told here. Externally, relationally, though, we're not to speak against one another. You see, the one's internal and spiritual. The other is external and relational. So this is the dimension of this command of not speaking against a brother. Now, again, if we're tempted to do this, we should not begin doing this. If we're involved in this, we must stop doing this. So what James does is very clearly tell us what the wrong is. Now, unfortunately, probably... 90% of us don't respond well to that. So, James, what he does next is, James comes along and he begins to say something like this. I'm going to give you a reasoned explanation on why this is the way we should live ourselves. So he begins talking about what judging is the internal side of things, what is really going on internally when we find ourselves judging people's actions, words, motives with the level of condemnation. And he says it violates the law of God. Now that's where the reasoning begins. It's violating the law of God. 
Now you say, well, what law of God is it violating? Well, it's violating the law of love. What did Jesus say? They came to Jesus. What's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God. A second is like it. You shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. How does this little section end? Your neighbor. The law of love. Whenever we are internally, spiritually judging a person so as to condemn them in our mind, we're violating the law of love spiritually. I can't see you do it. You can't see me do it. But if that's what we're doing, we're violating that law. So he's making this, this idea clear. Judging others, well, what does it do? It sets oneself above the law of love. It's saying, I, I know what the law of love is, but I'm above the law. That's what James is saying here. So he goes on in his explanation here. He's saying, the person that judges somebody else says, I know better than God. That's what he's going on here to say. Can you see this? This is what he's saying. You have gone above God. Another side of what he's saying is, I'm an exception. I know that this would apply to other people, but it doesn't. judging the way I do it, it's so sophisticated, so lofty, it's so, I mean, I, I've just got it. I've got the gift of judging with condemnation. No? No, I didn't think so. I'm above God in my thinking, or I am free to act as if I were God in my judging other people. So James is explaining now. Now, in, in a lot of times when we're dealing with change, if you were to say in your family, husband-wife relationship, or in a church, where's your change quotient? Well, you can go over here on one side and you say, quick, easy, change, love, change. Or you can go over the other side is, likely not to change. And you kind of somewhere in this line, you put the dot for yourself. Where are you? <laughs> because he's calling us to change. That's the idea. Stop doing this. He's calling us, where are you on the, the change quotient? Now, if you're more to the side of resisting of change, James understands. You need more information, and you need more convincing, and you need more time, and that's what he's giving you here. He gives you a detailed reasoning understanding that you can take and process. James explains this way. He wants to take you and me off the trail of other people's lives externally and put us on the better trail of looking at our own hearts and lives internally. That's what he's about here. This whole reasoning is to help you to see it's really not kind and gentle. You know, there are some people 
who are open. And you can bring criticism to them. And they accept the criticism and they benefit from it. Now just honestly, how many people do you know like that? But even these people who are open to and benefit criticism, if criticism keeps coming and coming and coming, how do you think, what is this doing? So oftentimes when we deal with certain people and we, we're talking with them and we watch their eyes drop, their forehead drop, or their eyes go to the side, or a cloud fall over their face. These people have been wounded by criticism, by judging like this. That's what we do to people. Now, James wants to take us off the trail of others' outward actions and put us on the better trail of our own inward personal fault. Like Jesus, James is telling us, take the log out of your own eye. Take the log out of your own eye. That's what Jesus said. This is Jesus' brother. He's applying this in a fresh way. Chip is constantly saying in things like this, these things that happen to us in our conscious inner self, why these things go unchecked is because we're listening to ourselves and we're allowing our computer to run things through our brain and what comes through our brain is setting ourselves up above people and we're talking down to people in our brain. And Chip says the answer to that is not to listen to yourself, but to talk to yourself, to tell yourself what you know is the truth, that we are not to speak against a brother, to talk to yourself, Lord, this is wrong. I should not be judging and condemning other people in my heart and in my mind. The more that we talk to each other as opposed to listen to ourselves, the more we do that, the more we're going to see that there's the power and the victory to do what he is commanding here. Now again, James gives us a direct command, don't judge, don't speak against. One's internal, one's external. James explains the wrongness of the wrong. And uh, we understand that, uh, that there's, there's, there's two ways in the way this reasoning begins to affect us. One way that the reasoning affects us is what we could call the think of the fact. I process the information. I understand that it's wrong. I process the information. I know that it's wrong. I process the information, I know that it's wrong, and the other is the feel of the fact. Oh Lord, I have hurt that person. You've got to experience both of these. 
There's the think of the fact and the feel of the fact that need to be weighed out from this explanation. But then beyond that, James says, this is good news. You're not in this alone. When he says that we're not in this alone, I'm going to be alone if I don't stop. That's what it's saying. (laughs) That he gives us the Holy Spirit. Here is Jesus coming, and the promise in this battle is, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Jesus comes to us by giving us the Holy Spirit. As Paul says in Romans 8, if by the Spirit we're putting to death the deeds of the body, we will live. All of a sudden, there's a new level of hope here. I'm not to do this in my own strength. I'm not to do this in my own power. There's a team that exists. And the team is the Holy Spirit, and the team is Jesus, and they're with me, and they want me to succeed in this. It's clear that the wrongness of the wrong, we are told not to do it, to stop, and we're told here that there's a team with power to help us change. Finally, there's a delegated life to this. Jesus is calling us to live, not merely to think, but to live. And when we live, we think of what Paul says in Romans uh, 4.29. Jesus says something like this, Never let any unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Very similar. But only such word as is good for edification. Now there's a positive side to this. Instead of being condemning, we're to be edifying. And not only good for edification, but according to the need of the moment. We know how to encourage when encouragement is needed. I remember one time I was down and I was at a meeting, and all of a sudden there was somebody tapping me on the shoulder. And I looked around and it was Chuck Colson. And he looked at me and he said, young man, cheer up. It's going to be all right. I thought, well, that was pretty good. That's what he's talking about here. So that you may give grace to those who hear you. Now, Ephesians 4.29 is the positive side of this. We are to speak no unwholesome word, but words that are good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that our words will give grace to those who hear. Again, from Colossians 1.10. We are to live worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him in every respect. So what James is doing is calling us to go forward. There's a clear command. There is a wonderful explanation. There is the promise of power in teamwork in accomplishing this. This isn't something you do on your own. And then there is deployment, delegation. We're set out into life. We're set out into life to represent Jesus. Delegation. I don't know about you. I love it when people delegate things for me to go and do. A lot of times they let me do them my own way, too, and that's not bad. But this is what he wants us to do. Let's look at our hearts. Stop internally, spiritually, judging people with condemnation and speaking outwardly 
relationally hurtful words about other people to other people. Let's pray. Now, Father, bless us and keep us. Help us in these things to understand this is Jesus, and this is the way Jesus wants us to live, like he lived, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.